Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra and pay our respects to Elders, past, present and future. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Ewing Trust Fitzroy Walking Tour podcast series. Fitzroy, Melbourne's first suburb, is full of stories both old and new. The Fitzroy Walking Tours podcast series makes Fitzroy history easily accessible to the public. Each podcast features local experts. Simply download the podcast, go to the starting point, and start your walk around the streets of Fitzroy. Visit places of interest in your journey, taking things at your own pace. Or listen at any time, anywhere. Joining us today are five members of the Fitzroy Historical Society. Simon Armstrong, Jennifer McKechnie, Meg Lee, Peter Woods and Mike Moore. Today's podcast will take you around the streets of Fitzroy, including a look at the architecture of Nicholson Street. This podcast is brought to you by Yarra Libraries and the Ewing Trust. Now, please start this podcast at today's starting point, in Fitzroy, on King William Street, opposite the All Saints Parish Hall. So we're standing at a spot halfway between Brunswick Street and Young Street in King William Street, opposite the All Saints Parish Hall. There are three buildings of interest in this part of King William Street down from the Town Hall. The first building nearest the Town Hall is now a Catholic church and a school, but originally it was a Methodist uh, church. The second building that we're standing in front of is the All Saints Parish Hall. This is example, an example of a 19th century prefabricated iron building which was built in 1854. The 1855 rate books recorder H. Hislop occupying the iron store on this site. Initially, it was the Wesleyan Church. The third building to the left of where we're looking at All Saints Parish Hall now is the blue stone building on the corner of Brunswick Street. It was originally the National Hotel. The builder and owner of the National Hotel was Edward Willis, who was born in 1820 and died in 1872. Edward Willis, his wife and two children arrived as assistant immigrants in April of 1844. He was sponsored by a Mr. Webb, who is presumably the R.S. Webb who owned Webb's Paddock, Lot 70 of 28 acres, which included all of Hanover Street, both sides where we'll be walking up later, King William Street and Moore Street on both sides of that. By 1849, Wills lived on Brunswick Street, owning two sites there, and by 1859, he owned most of the sites northward from King William Street towards Moore Street. The rate books of the time indicate that between 1859 and 69, Wills owned six or eight properties in Brunswick Street, northward from where we're standing now towards Moore Street. In addition, he owned three adjacent properties in Hanover Street, where he built a house in 1854. Wills was a labourer, a blacksmith, a quarryman, a builder, a stone merchant and quarry operator at Keelor, Brunswick and in North Fitzroy. From about 1860, he was a miner at Sandhurst, where he died in 1872, aged 52. Bit of background to Fitzroy at the time. Fitzroy became a separate municipality in 1858, and early meetings of the new Fitzroy Municipal Council were held on the 4th and 18th of October, 1858, at this hotel. Many other public meetings, with 100 to 200 attending, were held at the National Hall next door, part of the National Hotel. The Fitzroy Cricket Club was formed in this site in November 1861. Walk down King William Street to Brunswick Street, 
Please be careful as you cross Brunswick Street and we advise using a nearby crossing. Once you have crossed, go to number 175 Brunswick Street, currently Smith & Daughters Restaurant. Number 175 Brunswick Street, currently Smith & Daughters Restaurant. The first building on this site was a brick house of four rooms and built it around 1850. A larger building is shown on the Hodgkinson survey map of 1863 where the rate books quote a brick building of 12 rooms. At that date it was the residence of a Mr George Williams who was a confectionery manufacturer. In 1860 it became a hotel and for the next 75 years it had several titles. Magna Charter Hotel, Rifleman's Arms Hotel, the London Tavern, Ballarat Tavern and Ballarat Hotel. The property was sold five times and had 22 licensees. The building was enlarged in 1891 to 20 rooms, probably as it exists today. In 1936, the Licence Review Board cancelled many hotel licences in Fitzroy and this included the Ballarat Hotel. The building was then divided into apartments. In the years of the Second World War and until 1945, Parkville, the area most commonly housing students at the University of Melbourne, was occupied mainly by US servicemen based at Camp Pill on Royal Park. With university numbers rapidly expanding after the war, accommodation for university students became extremely difficult. Student leaders advertised for suitable accommodation and the old Ballarat Hotel was leased to the University of Melbourne as a residential building, accommodating 16 tenants. The key instigator in obtaining the lease was Ian Turner, a charismatic figure, secretary of the SRC and a member of the Communist Party of Australia. The residents soon acquired a reputation among students as being a place of wild debauchery, several of its inmates drunken at seven at night, and a place of riotous parties and for various lurid amatory adventures." Unquote. In 1951, the owner attempted to evict all the students and a court case was run with proceedings containing far more scandalous allegations eagerly reproduced by the Melbourne newspapers that the building was used as the headquarters of the Communist Party and that the rooms were in a state of filth, quotes, almost beyond description. The accusations all contained issues of great concern to current attitudes made worse by the fact that the building was in the dreaded suburb of Fitzroy. The court case was lost and the students continued to use the building much as they had before the court case. The building continued as student accommodation until 1960, when the university ceased to be the principal tenant. The ground floor has since been occupied by a number of different users, including the University of Melbourne, the Yugoslav Social Centre, the Australian Ballet School, a barbecue restaurant and the Divine Sales second-hand shop and a number of restaurants. The upper floors have been occupied by a dance studio, a Pilates studio and currently a tattoo parlour. Walk south down Brunswick Street towards the city until you get to Hanover Street. Turn right into Hanover Street and walk one block down to Fitzroy Street. Then turn left or south towards the city on Fitzroy Street. Walk to the corner of Little Hanover and Fitzroy Street outside the Christian Israelite Sanctuary. Now we find ourselves standing outside or in front of the Christian Israelite Sanctuary. This sanctuary in Fitzroy Street is of historical significance as a rare example of Christian Israelite building, the only one remaining in Victoria and is still in use by the Christian Israelite community. The complex is significant for its long and continuous association with the Christian Israelites, a little-known sect established in England around 1822 by John Rowe. 
and in evidence in Victoria from around 1850. All of the buildings in this complex are integral parts of an important church precinct. The Christian Israelite sanctuary is of architectural importance as an essential intact example of the early non-conformist church building. The simple form and austere style of the building is typical of the architectural tradition adopted by many non-conformist churches of the period and the modest interior reflects the religious beliefs of its adherents. The blocked windows and roof lanterns are distinctive to the Christian Israelite church, being symbols of Noah's Ark. The interior retains many features of architectural interests, including the high pulpit, rail, balcony and stairs, vestibule and pews. The corner of Fitzroy Street and Brunswick Place is right where you are. While most points of interest on this walk are either in front or above you, take time to look in front of your feet. Here on Fitzroy Street and opposite Brunswick Place, you'll notice an arrow cut into the top of the curb block. This arrow signifies property of the government, and similar arrows can be found on, on surveying benchmarks and even on old prisoners' clothes. These arrows can be seen on the curbs in many places around Fitzroy. The basalt blocks forming the curb and gutter were cut by manual labour more than 100 years ago in quarries mainly along Mary Creek. Basalt is moderately hard, but many of the blocks here in Fitzroy Street show the wear and tear from when most vehicles were horse-drawn carts with steel tyres. Continual use along similar movement lines eventually caused rutting, particularly along the edges of the blocks. While we are here, notice the shape of the gutter in Brunswick Place. It is four blocks wide and different to that in Fitzroy Street and indeed most streets. It was the original shape of the gutters in, throughout Fitzroy, later replaced by the higher curb which kept water flow against the curb and provided a slightly wider usable roadway. Walk back north, up Fitzroy Street, until you get to Hanover Street. Turn left along Hanover Street and walk to number 35. We're standing outside 35 Hanover Street, an impressive Georgian home built in 1854. It's referred to as Wills House. The owner-builder, Edward Wills, was, has included his name above the date. His trajectory was rapid, as we have heard, from labourer to blacksmith to quarry worker and then builder of this fine home at number 35. As with the National Hotel on Brunswick Street, his choice of building materials was bluestone. It's a handsome building with so many features that are still intact. Boxed windows retain their original cedar shutters, plus the extra wide flooring in Baltic pine. One quirk of the building is the original staircase, whose trajectory failed to marry with the height of the back door. The house is marked by the coins or corner featured stonework and retains its original cellar. The coins are highlighted in a cream brick paint. On the large allotment, there's a wilderness garden and several buildings. On the east side are the stables, and on the west side behind the house, a two-storey building which housed the kitchen and maids' quarters. They are all in bluestone as well. On the west wall, are a number of engraved names, which can be, if you are considerate of the neighbour's laundry area of number 33 Hanover, you can read them clearly etched into the stone. They've been traced to names of local teenagers from the 1890s. The two enormous cypress trees out the front have their own heritage classification. In 1877, a group of concerned women sponsored by Governor Bowen's wife, rented Will's house, 
to set up an infant welfare asylum, to prevent infanticide, to support single mothers and prevent baby farming. They operated there until 1902 when larger premises were sought and found in Berry Street, South Yarra. So this asylum was the beginning of the Berry Street Babies Home. Soon after that, the house was a boarding house, which it remained for 30 years. From the restrained simplicity of the Georgian architecture, cast your gaze over the road to 36 and 38 Hanover Street. Here is an example of 1880s Melbourne Victorian boom style architecture. The decorative facade begins in five urns on top through the cast iron window boxes, Arcadian veranda with faces or masks. It suggested that they represent Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. So the occupants are blessed with wisdom inside and out of each arch. The facade includes pilasters and entablature and it adorns the entire face. The cast iron fence and gate borders the encaustic tiled veranda. These three buildings managed to survive the demolition which was the fate of both sides of Hanover Street and are the only original homes between Fitzroy Street and Nicholson Street. Housing Commission compulsorily acquired all the properties in the zealous efforts to clean the slums. High-rise were built in Atherton Gardens and walk-ups in Hanover and Fleet Street in what became known as the St Lawrence Estate. The cream brick homes from 20 to 34 Hanover were built on a larger model and go through to Little Hanover Street. A double-fronted house on Little Hanover Street occupied the back of 36 and 38 Hanover Street, but after clearance that land was incorporated into the title of these homes. Thanks to the previous owner of 35 Hanover Street, John Lockyer O'Brien, there is an enormous photographic record of the beautiful homes that were demolished. It, if interested, the collection is now in the University of Melbourne archives and can be sourced there. The next stop is the happily intact streetscape of Nicholson Street. Walk west along Hanover Street until you get to Nicholson Street. Turn left or south towards the city. Walk to number 88, the Academy of St Mary Immaculate. From there, we will begin a walk back up Nicholson Street, looking at buildings along the way. Nicholson Street was first known as West Government Road, then as Evelyn Street, thought to be in honour of Wilbraham, Friedrich, Evelyn, Leodet, a hotelier, watercolour artist and historian, but perhaps best known in the context of early Melbourne as the developer of Port Melbourne. He was also a descendant of John Evelyn, the 17th century English diarist and gardener. The street was finally named after William Nicholson, who migrated to Australia from England in 1842 at the age of 26. He initially established himself as a grocer, became successful in business and established a merchant firm, WH Nicholson and Company. He entered politics and was mayor of Melbourne in 1850 to 1851. In 1859, he became the third Premier of Victoria. He was also a foundation member of the, and director of the Bank of Victoria from 1852. Nicholson is particularly noted for his association with the establishment of secret ballot voting in 1855-56. He died in 1865. The first building we'll look at is the Academy of Mary Immaculate at number 88 Nicholson Street. The first Catholic nuns to come to Melbourne were four Irish Sisters of Mercy led by Sister Ursula Frayne, who in 1857 moved into a house in Nicholson Street that had been the residence of Bishop James Gould and opened a fee-paying academy for girls. One of those girls was Mary McKillop, who founded the Josephite Order 
and was canonised in 2010 as St Mary of the Cross. That original house is one of two bluestone buildings that can be seen behind the arcaded veranda facing Nicholson Street, which was added in 1930. Both of these bluestone houses were constructed by builders Robert White and Thomas Cowie in 1850 for businessmen John Watson and E.B. White. The architects of the houses were Arthur Newson and James Blackburn, who also designed the residence of the Anglican Archbishop Perry. An 1854 list of improved and unimproved property in the Fitzroy Ward recorded the northernmost property as being owned and occupied by the Right Reverend James Gould, or Bishop Gould, and its southern neighbour being owned by Donald Kennedy. This latter property was, was acquired by the Sisters of Mercy in approximately 1861. Each house was described in the list as brick house, eight rooms, two detached kitchens, yard and garden ground, stables, coach house, veranda, large veranda in the case of Donald Kennedy's house, and brick convenience. Adjacent to the academy, the sisters ran a house of mercy as a refuge for respectable young women out of situation who were trained for domestic service. This later became an industrial school, taking girls from the South Melbourne Orphanage who were also taught domestic skills. The sisters enlarged the school to provide for children of humbler means, as well as a ragged school for stray children driven through poverty to the streets. The Academy is the oldest Catholic girls' school in Victoria and one of the oldest schools in Victoria still operating on its original site. Next door to the Academy are the Cairo Flats at number 98 Nicholson Street. Uxbridge House originally stood on this site and was thought to have been built prior to May 1845. In May 1845, the Melbourne City Council rate books indicate, indicated that the six-room house was valued at £60, which made it one of the most expensive in the district. Photographs indicate that the two-storey brick house had an ionic colonnaded veranda which supported a first-storey balcony. The house was set back from the road in an established garden. The garden wall that you could see on the north side of the block is all that remains of the former house. The builder is thought to have been R.S. Webb, mentioned previously, who originally purchased 28 acres of land from a William Thomas. James Stewart, occupied the house in 1847 while it remained in the ownership of R.S. Webb. From 1854 to 1857, the owner and occupier of Uxbridge House was Edward Grimes, a magistrate who was appointed to the position of Auditor General in 1854. He retired from that role in 1857 and Parliament determined to award him £3,500 He'd actually asked for 7000 Mr Grimes sold his home and its contents and sailed for England in 1858, where he died in 1859. The property he advertised for sale included the residence at the corner of Nicholson and Hanover Streets, another property in Brunswick Street with a right-of-way to the Devonshire Arms Hotel, three acres of richly timbered land in Turak, and a selection of brick-making ground in what would become Union Street, Brunswick. From approximately 1862 until his death in 1891, William Bates, who was a member of the Legislative Assembly, owned the property and gave it the name Uxbridge, after the town in which he was born in Middlesex in England. William and his wife, Annie Bates, had at least five known children, three girls and two boys, one son, Edward Albert Bates, who was born at Uxbridge House in 1865, became an architect and later partner in the firm Bates, Peebles and Smart from 1908 
until 1931. That firm actually continues today as Bates Smart Architects. Uxbridge House was replaced by the Cairo Flats, which were built in 1935 to 1936 by Best Overend of Taylor, Solier and Overend Architects. Overend was heavily influenced by the modernist architects whilst working in London. In his book Melbourne Architecture, Philip Goad describes Cairo as the most rigorously functional building in 1930s Melbourne. It was established as a series of serviced bachelor flats arranged, as you might be able to see, in a two-storied U-shape around a courtyard. The small flats had built-in storage, coved ceilings to eliminate cornices, and simple Bauhaus-style fittings. The flats had small kitchens, but provision was made for food to be delivered to the flats and left in a cupboard, not unlike the arrangement used by some motels. There was also a communal dining room, which later became a milk bar. A cantilevered concrete staircase leads to the roof where residents could dry laundry, sunbathe or relax with views across the Carlton Gardens. Cairo also features in the 2013 novel of the same name by local writer Chris Womersley. Across Hanover Street, the next property we will look at is the nunnery at 116 Nicholson Street. So what is now known as the nunnery backpackers accommodation was originally constructed in 1888 to 89 for surgeon Thomas Hewlett. Dr Hewlett from Berkshire in England had come to Melbourne in 1862 after service in India as an army surgeon. The house built in red brick with cement dressings to door and window frames, was designed by Lloyd Taylor as a single building, but in two parts, and it comprised 15 rooms. The building is reminiscent of Taylor's 1884-85 work at numbers 5 to 7 Collins Street. The northern section of the nunnery is flush-fronted for the full height of its three storeys while the southern section, as you will note, has a recessed lodger at each of its three levels. These have since been modified. The building is the only three-storey recessed lodger example in Fitzroy. Another good example of, the, of this type of architecture is the large terrace comprising seven houses at number 93 to 105 Drummond Street in Carlton. Thomas Hewlett practised at 116 Nicholson Street until his death in 1904. Prior to this, he worked from 142 Nicholson Street, just north of Moore Street. Hewlett married Louisa Blackman in 1864 and they had a daughter and two sons. Louisa died in 1882 and Thomas married Louisa's widowed sister Millicent in 1884. She had four children from her first marriage. Hewlett was president of the Medical Society in 1882 and was a member of the Medical Board of Victoria. His youngest son, Herbert Mournsell, was born in 1872. He became an honorary medical officer at the Children's Hospital, Carlton, and established an X-ray department there in 1897. That is, only two years after X-rays had first been developed. Herbert also had X-ray facilities installed at Fitzroy in 1902. Herbert joined his father's practice in 1896 and worked at 116 Nicholson Street through to at least 1915. The present-day Backpackers Hostel derives its name from the building's later association with the French Order of Nuns, the Daughters of Charity. From 1944 until 1974, the sisters opened and operated St Vincent's Hall here as a hostel for country girls working in the city. Later, the Daughters of Charity extended their care and support to young women refugees from Vietnam and Cambodia.
The next property in this block that we will look at is at number 122 Nicholson Street on the corner of King William Street. This striking Italianate house is notable for its two-storey arcaded veranda with three bays across the front, as you will note, and five bays on its side return flanking King William Street. Balustrading across the veranda is repeated in the parapet. The Melbourne City Council Notice of Intention to Build of August 1862 records John Bunn's Denny as the owner, builder and architect of a four-roomed house to be built on the site. Denny owned the site until his death in 1892. However, he only lived at the address intermittently over the, the 30 years from 1865 until 1892. He was born at Norfolk in England in 1810 and was married to Cecilia, to whom he left his estate and had one surviving daughter, Elizabeth Mary Denny. John Bunn's Denny was involved in the construction of many buildings for the Catholic Church. He was a diocesan clerk of works and effective understudy to William Wardell in the construction of St. Patrick's Cathedral. In the Australian Architectural Index, Denny has about 30 entries. There were three for shops and or dwellings, and all the rest were for Catholic Church projects, uh, presbyteries, orphanages, and so forth. These included Ballarat Cathedral, St. Finbar's Brighton, and the Brunswick Presbytery. Over King William Street, we have St Andrew's Hotel at number 128 Nicholson Street. In the 1850s, 33 new liquor licences were granted for Fitzroy. 27 of these were for the area south of Johnson Street. In the 1850s, Fitzroy did not extend beyond Riley Street, which is now Alexandra Parade. Despite the emergence of an increasingly influential temperance movement, by 1871, Fitzroy had 62 licensed hotels for a population of around 15,500 people. St Andrew's Hotel was built in approximately 1854 and a licence was first granted in 1855. Prior to 1860, the hotel was operated by James Black, who also owned land to the north of the hotel. Benjamin Hawkins owned and operated the hotel for about a decade from 1900 and called it Hawkins St Andrews Hotel. In the early years of the 20th century, a fire at the hotel meant that much of it had to be rebuilt. From about 1987, the hotel was named the Pump House. The current owners restored the original name St Andrews Hotel to the property in about 2017. An early 20th century photo of Hawkins St Andrews Hotel is currently displayed on the back of hotel menus. The photo depicts a building with a frontage set slightly back from the street in contrast to the current facade. Down from St Andrews Hotel is Mary Glowry House at number 132 to 134 Nicholson Street. Originally called Langridge House, the property was built by 25-year-old solicitor Robert Best in 1881, the year of his marriage to Jane Langridge. A northern wing was added in 1888. Jane Langridge died 20 years later in 1901. Stables and a hayloft that also belonged to Robert Best can be seen across the lane at the rear of the house. Best was a notable local citizen. He was president of Fitzroy Football Club and a layman in St Mark's Anglican Parish. He served as a councillor on Fitzroy Council for 14 years from 1883 and served as the mayor of Fitzroy in 1888 and 1889. He also served in the Victorian Legislative Assembly from 1889 until 1901, where he was a government minister and acted as Premier on two occasions. With Federation, Best became a Senator for Victoria from 1901 until 1910. 
He then represented the division of Kuyong in the House of Representatives from 1910 until 1922. He served in the second and third governments of Prime Minister Alfred Deakin, another politician with early connections to Fitzroy. From 1909 until 1910, he served as the Minister for Trade and Custom. Best supported the introduction of conscription and became a nationalist in 1917. In 1922, he was beaten on Labor preferences by an independent, John Latham, who ran on the slogan, Get Rid of Hughes. Billy Hughes was the then Prime Minister. Best moved to Caulfield in about 1903 and died in Hawthorne in 1946, aged 89. He was survived by two daughters and two sons of his first marriage and four daughters of his second marriage to Maud Evelyn Crocker-Smith. Robert Best is the likely source of the name for Best Street in Fitzroy North. Theodore Bark and his family owned the property and operated apartments there from 1932 until 1956. The lane at the rear is called Bark Lane. Langridge House became Glowry and then Mary Glowry House after being purchased in 1983 by the Catholic Women's League. Mary Glowry was the first president of the league. Mary Glowry House was established to provide low-cost, short-term accommodation of up to 17 beds, primarily for country people visiting the city or relatives who required hospitalisation. In 1860, William Radden commenced building a house for James Burgoyne on the southern corner of Nicholson and Moore. The house was subsequently recorded in rate books as being a brick house, six rooms. In the period 1857 to 1862, Burgoyne is recorded in the Government Gazette as having been awarded many contracts for government railways and buildings. His first wife, Eliza Avenel, had died in 1858. In 1859, he married Susan Jane Roycroft. They lived at 140 Nicholson Street as owner-occupants until at least 1862. James Burgoyne died at sea, either in transit to or, or from New Zealand in 1865. His widow remarried in 1871. Ownership of the house passed to Burgoyne's daughter, Mrs Florence Avenel Roycraft, who was born in 1860. She owned the house until her death in Creswick in 1827. The house was occupied in 1868 by another politician, James Joseph Casey, Minister for Justice in Victoria's Parliament under James McCulloch. He was also briefly Solicitor General in 1869. Though not a teetotaler, Casey was active in the temperance movement. He was Vice President of the Victorian Alliance and responsible for the Inebriates Treatment Act of 1872. Among later inhabitants of 140 Nicholson Street was Mrs Muriel Hyde. She was recorded as the occupant from 1948 until 1974. Her mother, Emily Cumberland, lived at the house from 1930 to 1946. In reference to the shuttered windows on the Moore Street side of the building, a former occupant of the corner shop opposite in the 1950s remembered, these shutters reminded me of illicit liquor trade which went on there. Being opposite, we had a bird's eye view of the sly grogging which went on. A customer would knock on the shutters, one of them would spring open, a furtive customer would quickly pass over a one pound note, and a few 26 ounce bottles of beer would be passed out, the shutters would spring shut, all in less than five seconds. At this point, we might want to move down to the corner of the gardens, uh, corner of Carlton Street. Number 142 to 144 Nicholson Street is located on the northern corner of Moore Street. This wide but not deep building is one of four residences. The other three front onto Moore Street. The shop on the corner had been added sometime since 1900. The four buildings 
plus 146 and 148 to the north were all owned by David Blair, a builder and his family uh, in the period 1870 to 1907 or later. David and his wife Lydia Harford were married in 1855 at St Peter's in Eastern Hill. The first of their at least eight children was born in 1856. The corner building has 16 rooms and the more, more street buildings are smaller with seven rooms each. Blair's wife and eldest daughter were both named Lydia and the three more street terraces are identified on the parapet as Lydia Terrace. Miss Lydia Blair was recorded as the owner in 1896 and 1904. Dr Thomas Hewlett, referred to earlier, had his residence and a large general practice here from 1870 until 1888 when he moved south to 116 Nicholson Street. The next occupant here at the corner from 1891 to 1900 was Dr Thomas Reardon. Since 1909, the large corner building has been a boarding house, flats and then apartments. The occupants at the corner shop have included a florist in 1933, a grocer from 1937 until 1961, a confectioner from 1965 until 1974 or later, and more recently, restaurant proprietors. Outside the corner shop, there's an historic but now non-operational letterbox. The Sands and McDougall directories record that there was a postal receiving box at this corner site as far back as the 1870s. The next properties we will look at are 146 and 148 Nicholson Street, a pair of terraces. These were built in 1865 to 1866 with unusual cantilevered joists under each balcony. This pair of houses were owned by the Blair family until at least 1907. Interestingly, an earlier house built by David Blair at number 16 Napier Street, Fitzroy, eight years earlier, also had floor joists that continued out through the front wall as cantilevered supports for a balcony. While 16 Napier Street still exists, its cantilevered balcony was removed by the early 1960s. The cantilevered balconies of 146 and 148 Nicholson Street differed to that of the Napier Street house in that they were constructed between a pair of protruding wing walls and created a sense of privacy and enclosure from the street. In 1868, both houses were advertised for private board and residence and first-class accommodation for a suitable gentleman or lady and gentleman. In 1869, the Christian Brothers occupied Nicholson Street and were advertising for subscriptions to assist in the establishment of a convent and schools. Catherine Terrace, 150 to 160 Nicholson Street, is the last group of properties we'll look at in this stretch. In 1882, the site on which Catherine Terrace was later built was owned by John Kirkwood and Richard Punch. By 1885, the whole 150-foot wide site was owned by Leon Cohen, who records indicate may have been a bookmaker. The six brick houses that comprise the terrace were built in 1888 by J. Humphreys to a design by W.S. Law. W.S. Law is noted for his design of the four-storey well-known Biltmore in Albert Park in 1887 and the exuberantly decorated Medley Hall in Drummond Street, Carlton in 1892. The cost of the project was £4,418. Cohen's wife's name is variously recorded as Kate and Catherine Nee Asher, and it is thought that the terrace was named for her. Fitzroy rate books for the period 1896 to 1907 record the owner as Catherine Cohen. Leon Cohen died at East Melbourne in 1914 at the age of 63. In later years, Catherine is recorded at having lived at the Grand Hotel in Melbourne from 1921 to 22, and the New Treasury Hotel from 1923 until 1925. 
She died at St Kilda in 1931. Catherine Terrace is notable for its symmetry and arcaded lodger and balcony recessed into the facade of the building rather than being attached to it. The use of iron columns as distinct from stone or stuccoed brick pillars or piers was common from the 1870s onward. In contrast, buildings such as Falconer Terrace in Napier Street relied on heavy pillars. By now, you should be outside Catherine Terrace, 150 to 166 Nicholson Street. Now travel back south down Nicholson Street or towards the city to Moore Street. Then go to 6 to 8 Moore Street, which is near the corner of Nicholson Street and Moore Street. Our next stopping point is in Moore Street, uh, just down from the corner of Nicholson Street. And we should be out the front of numbers 6 to 8 Moore Street. It's a very small residence. It's been renovated recently, but you can see the width of this residence is, uh, is very small and gives you some sense of the size of the buildings in the 1850s. This residence was owned by Alexander Jamison, who came from Little Napier Street, and he built this store on the site in 1854. He followed that by building a stone house in 1856 and a two-storey shop and dwelling in 1860. Jameson was a grocer here from 1858 and lived in the houses that are now numbered 2, 6 and 8 Moore Street until 1906. From this corner where we are uh, on Bark Lane and Moore Street, we're going to walk south up to the next lane, um, which is about 50 metres from where we are now. At this point, we are now behind Language House, um, details of which have been given to you in the previous narration. As we look down the lane south, you get a magnificent view of the town hall. On the left of this laneway are the old stables, which were built by Robert Best, uh, who lived in 132 Nicholson Street in Langridge House. You've heard a lot about his past. He was the Victorian MLA and before that a councillor and mayor of Fitzroy. The stables consisted of a hayloft and the groom's quarters. We're now going to walk down Moore Street to the next stopping point, which is out the front of 40 Moore Street. The building that you see now in front of Moore Street uh, is a new building and is completely different to what was originally here. At 40 Moore Street in the past was what's called the Bell House Iron House, which was erected in 1853 by Samuel Boswell. It was constructed according to the British patent system of iron founder Edward Taylor Bell House of Manchester. The only other surviving building of this system or by this manufacturer is the former ballroom at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, originally ordered from Bell House by Prince Albert. In 1971, the Bell House, which was originally on this site of 40 Moore Street, was moved to Coventry Street in South Melbourne, where it remains today. It's now owned by the National Trust, and is of technical, architectural and historical significance to the state of Victoria. Opposite 40 Moore Street, uh, we can look out at the premises of 45 Moore Street, which was originally Larcher's Dairy. Horatio Larcher had dairy farms at Alfington and Ivanhoe, and he was delivering 100 quarts of milk twice a daily to the inner Melbourne area. By 1888, he had a depot at Webb Street, Fitzroy, and later, in 1907, he had a large operation at 45 Moore Street, in front of which we're standing now. That operation was delivering 100,000 quarts of milk per day by 1922. From 1906, the health regulations required pasteurisation, which required milk to be heated to 77 degrees. In order to achieve that, and at the back of the building, you will see, if you look carefully, 
or you may have to move slightly, a large chimney, a very large chimney, which was built in 1908 to help with the pasteurisation required by the milk legislation at the time. The chimney was used to provide steam to the dairy and heat the milk. The next stopping point is further down Moore Street towards Brunswick Street on the corner of Moore Street and Fitzroy Street. On this corner behind you now was located Apps Funeral Parlours who were kept busy at the day. Apps Funeral Parlour operated on this corner from 1868 with their stables opposite at the John Street corner from 1891. There was also a chapel and a garage from 1936. The houses opposite also date from 1890 and were occupied by many of App's descendants. Keep travelling east along Moore Street until you reach the corner of Moore Street and Brunswick Street outside the Labour and Vane Hotel. Well, we've moved on down to the corner of Moore Street and Brunswick Street and on the north-west corner there we see the Labour and Vane Hotel. A hotel was first licensed here way back in 1849 with George Hyde as the publican. By 1889, that's about 45 years later, there were 94 hotels in Fitzroy. In 1906, a new licensing act was introduced with provision for a licensing reduction board. The following 20 years, 37 hotels in Fitzroy were closed down. In 1925, the Labour in Vain was closed with compensation paid to the owner and the licensee. The owner got £1,500 and the licensee got £100 compensation. The corner shop then became a milk bar and confectionery business for 70 years. Then, in 1998, four friends got together and reopened the Labour in Vain Hotel in the theme of its former glory, which we know today and it's patronised a lot by locals. That was the second Ewing Trust Fitzroy Walking Tour podcast. Thank you to members of the Fitzroy Historical Society for sharing their knowledge. Please like, share and subscribe to the Yarra Libraries podcast. We will have new episodes of the Ewing Trust Fitzroy Walking Tours podcast available throughout 2021 as well as our range of author interviews, book clubs and special events. Thank you again to the Ewing Trust for making this podcast possible.